0: Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 988 with Greg Root. But it was also, you know, I took it as, you know, I had to be, uh, I wanted to be and had to be a mentor for some of the managers and uh, GMs. You know, I looked back at my experience growing up through Star Restaurants and, you know, the folks that were in the position that I all of a sudden was in treated me that way. So I I felt it, I felt indebted to to be that way to to everyone else and create those relationships and, and take people as far as they really wanted to be taken.
1: This episode is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. Founded by Josh Sharkey, a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 years, Mies organizes, shares, preps, and scales your recipes like never Before plus you can get laser accurate food cost and nutrition analysis faster than you could even imagine. If you're a chef mixologist, consultant operator, or generally, if you manage a recipe intended for professional kitchens, me's is built for you. Get started by visiting getme's.com slash unstoppable. That's G E T M E E Z dot com forward slash unstoppable and as a listener of restaurant unstoppable podcast you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today with invoice processing you can link all of your purchases to ingredients in your recipes and the most current cost will be automatically reflected in every recipe revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with me's This episode is brought to you by one huddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce with one huddle. You can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the university of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. One huddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddle's game shop, 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe, to the latest Amazon best selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest partner at Defined Hospitality, Greg Root, my man. Greg, are you feeling unstoppable today?
0: So unstoppable!
1: Yeah, man, I'm <laughs> super excited to be here. Eli Culp had amazing things to say about the folks here at Defined Hospitality, what you're doing. Uh, he was your your names were the top of the list when he said you need to talk to. These, oh, these nice. are the people you need to talk to in Philadelphia. You guys were up there, and uh, I'm, I've taken four hours. Of your time between you and Al today. So I just want to say personally, thank you guys for being so generous with your time. I cannot wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? All right,
0: very, very quickly, uh, it goes like this don't fuck it up, but we're going to change it to don't mess it up okay. because it's <laughs> a little more, you know, 2023.
1: <laughs> so why does that resonate with you? Why is that your quote?
0: So, my uh, one of my mentors, uh, Steve Lewis, who we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Uh, gave me that bit of advice early on when I was a young twenty-one-year-old kid who came out of college and uh, was working as the GM of a Burger King, and I asked him for a piece of advice, and he said, "Well, Greg, don't fuck it up."
1: So, what do you think he was trying to communicate to you in that? Like, is it literally that simple? Just don't. It don't- was
0: that simple, and you know, don't, don't don't mess up. You know what I've taught you along the way. And, uh, it, it meant a lot more, you know, with, with the people and, you know, obviously go in and learn everything you can learn, but don't mess it up. Don't, don't, don't be an idiot. Got it.
1: Uh, simple, stupid, great way to get this thing started, man. I like it. And where does it make sense to start sharing your story? When did you know that this path, the hospitality path was going to be your path?
0: Yeah. Um, I have a pretty pretty cool story. I'm, I'm pretty proud of how I stumbled along in the industry. You know, I I grew up in an area uh, called Orland, Pennsylvania, which is about 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia, and uh, was very fortunate have uh, had uh, three brothers, two older, one younger, and we were all caddies at this country club. Uh, our house backed up to it on the 15th hole at a place called Manufacturers Country Club.
1: Ever sneak in a couple holes when no one's looking?
0: Oh, we had a backyard membership for sure, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. And, you know, I started when I was 13 years old, so I'm 45 now, just turned 45, and I remember my first day up there, uh, I did a job called Running the Hill, so again, 13 years old, like mini-me at the time, and the caddy master at the time, Bob Schoenig, who uh, had a nickname for me, um, you know, Rudy Tootie, (laughs) but... Uh, you know, basically, I took members' golf bags up and down the hill, the, you know, the first tee, giant decline, uh, to the fairway, and every bag I got a dollar. So my first day there, I earned $33. 13 year old kid. I literally ran home, you know, however long it was, half a mile, three quarters of a mile, ran home with such excitement, saw my parents, I said, I just made $33 here today. I'm rich. And are like, okay, cool. Like, way to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow, kid? Um, but, you know, anyway, so so I was a caddy early on, and I just loved the energy. I loved seeing the members and how they carried themselves. I loved seeing the staff of the country club, from the golf professionals to the kitchen crew, to just the the choreographed event that it was. And you know, fast forward about a year, year and a half, I was either fourteen or fifteen and i was carrying two bags at the time a double looper is what they they call them on the uh, on the inn um and you know, I was still micro in size, really. You haven't really hit the, the, the growth spurt, if you will. They call
1: you what? What was your nickname again? Something Rudy, Rudy, Rudy,
0: Rudy, Tootie. Rudy tootie? Is yeah. there a story behind that? Just my last name's root. And, uh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure of <laughs> Kid of the seventies and eighties. Okay. Know that, I just want to make sure yeah. I wasn't
1: overlooking a really great story. No, <laughs> no, no. Nothing fancy
0: there. Simple minded people. Um, <laughs> And so I was about to leave, I th- I think it was a Thursday if I remember correctly. And I was about to leave because there were no loops. That's what we call them. There are no caddies, no no um no members that needed a, a caddy that day. Well, at least I didn't get picked. And lo and behold, the caddy master at the time, Bob Shonick, said, "Hey, hey, Rudy, wait on. I have I have one member, a new member that just joined here. He needs a caddy. Seems like a really good guy. Owns about forty Burger Kings in and around Philadelphia. His name is Steve Lewis. I think you would. I think you'll like him. Oh, okay, great. I meet him, and immediately when I shake his hand, I had this sense of just slight awe, but also calm and like i 'm going to be around this guy a lot i can I can tell what it's was a, it
1: about him that made you feel this way
0: his charisma and his and his character you could just tell he, he just he cared about everyone that he came in contact with and uh, he was you know I, he says this a lot, and I believe it and <laughs> he 's a man of the people and that 's really what he is you know a guy that did very well for himself um, and his family, but treats everybody with the utmost respect and and just wants the best out of everybody
1: how well do you remember that first handshake
0: like it happened yesterday
1: explain it bring us like we're like right there witnessing um
0: Well, he was on the first tee at manufacturers. And, um, you know, there's like four steps or so leading down from, you know, the ledge where the caddies are down to the first tee. And I pick up his bag and the bags about, you know, him and his wife make fun of me because the bag was probably bigger than me at the time. And it was dragging (laughs) around. He had to get a new bag the next day. That's all a joke. But You know, I just remember walking down and seeing this well-dressed man and, um, him, you know, he was laughing and he had, he had his friend, uh, Luke Caputo there, um, who is, was his secretary's wife. And, um, he had two other gentlemen. I, I forget who they were, but I just carried Steve's bag and everybody else, uh, rode for the day. But, but the interaction with Steve at the first tee, I just remember, you know, he just looked me in the eye Mm. and, Said, what's your name? And I said, hi, I'm Greg. More like, hi, I'm Greg. And <laughs> <laughs> he said, Greg, how you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm Steve. And this is Lou. And then he boom, 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 boom. And, um, you know, all along the way, there was also, the, it wasn't, you know, walking down the first tee in the first fairway, you know, I was that little inquisitive kid just asking all these questions of Steve, you know, what do you do? Where are you from? Blah, 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 blah all, all the things that I always do. And, you know, he got that sense of, curiosity for me as well. And, but he also at the same time, you know, if I did something wrong, I mean, Hey, no, Greg, what are you doing over here, over here? <laughs> you know, because he knew that I was a newer caddy yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to carrying two, but I was only carrying one for him at the time, but he knew he had to kind of mentor and, and train me in the, in the caddying sense too. Um, and turns out he really mentored me in, in life and in restaurants. Too. So how
1: long would you say he was a mentor for you?
0: I talk to, to him this all day. the time. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Haven't so, talked to him in a while. Sorry, Steve, but so
1: <laughs> was he, why, what was it about this experience and working with him, catting for him that made you just fall in love with hospitality?
0: Yeah, I you know, it was the 5th hole at Manufacturers on that first day that I realized that I was going to be in the restaurant business. Um I don't know why I remember it was the 5th hole. It was just, you know, we were having a back and forth and it was a little bit of him and a little bit of me and a little bit of his golf and he's a, he's a good golf player. And uh I just remember the way he carried himself, his charisma, his attitude and again, like I just said, it's how he treated people. I just said, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm yeah. going to be what he does. And and I've always, I don't, I can't explain what was inside of me that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I felt that I was going to be an entrepreneur, that I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. It just was in me. And I knew, right. like, yeah, I'm going to do this one day.
1: I, I will say this about country clubs. They are probably where, I'm taking a stab in the dark. You don't have to agree with this statement, but I think that they're probably where hospitality exists, the, the the greatest amount of hospitality right now in the industry hmm. and in my opinion it's because of the relationships are so consistent mm-hmm. we're like you can really go above and beyond to make people feel seen and welcome because you develop relationships mm-hmm. like these people are coming every day every right. night um and it's like their whole families and like mm-hmm. and i just feel like working there i mean i've worked in a lot of segments in the, the hospitality industry and for me it was a country club um i worked it was in like my mid-20s i worked a uh like a little like it was like a shack, basically. I wanted like a, the half, yeah, the, like the mm-hmm. halfway house, halfway house, exactly, yeah. yeah. And it was just so cool to like you start to like learn your your clients and like you 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 start, you start to see their habits and their preferences and it was just so easy to get ahead of that mm-hmm. because you're like I know exactly what this person yep. is going to ask exactly. for they're they're so predictable and it was just so easy to go above and beyond and to make people feel seen and welcome because mm-hmm. the quality the, the the depth of the relationship is so much deeper mm-hmm. i feel like than mm-hmm. in other verticals yeah what are you would you
0: mm-hmm. i absolutely agree with that and and uh when you said let's get ahead of that that's my other uh mantra that i forgot to mention but that's that's a uh, That's a well-known ism of mine that I say a lot. Let's get ahead of it. There's this
1: one guy and it sticks out and he would order the same thing every time. I saw that he was playing the back nine that day, so I wasn't going to see him. And the cool thing also about that is like you have a list, you know who's teeing off, what time they're going to be there. Right. So you know exactly who's coming, what to mm-hmm. expect. You can really get ahead of it. And I was like, oh crap, I'm not going to see this dude. I like this guy. I got my golf cart and I went to like the 10th hole. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I know you're not going to be able to get your Pepsi today. So right. I wanted to bring it to you here at the 10th hole because right. I know you always get it. And he's just like, I blew him away, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like you can do that in, in country clubs, like the, something about the environment, the predictability of it really, it lets you go above.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, for, for a lot of people, uh, you know, it's a reprieve from their, their normal work week and they get to come in there and, you know, they're spending a lot of money on, on the, the ability to play golf or tennis or, or just eat at the restaurant or swim, what have you. Uh, but to your point, you know, the ability of the, the folks working there to, to provide that hospitality experience and knowing those little details about X, Y, or Z person is everything, right? Right. I mean, I, I play golf a lot still now and the experiences that I have, um, with the folks that, that work there are, are great. You know, they know what I do, of course, but it's, they ask about my kids, how, how are your kids doing? How, you know, what's up with the wine list? How are you doing with the, with the Mezcal list over Condessa? You know, those, that level of questions certainly uh, resonated with me and, and helped me out in, in the career yeah. now.
1: And uh, we're, 10 minutes into this conversation and we're still talking about your first job as a caddy. <laughs> I have uh, more. <laughs> I, I would take, I would take three hours from my guests that they'd give it to me, but it's hard enough to lock down a restaurant gotcha. for two hours, man. But I'm loving the conversation and, and I don't see caddy on your uh, LinkedIn profile for whatever yeah. reason. Uh, I
0: left it off. I don't I know. Know. <laughs> so
1: the first thing I see is in 2002, mm-hmm. um, Jones's.
0: Yep. Well, here, here we'll go backwards really quickly if that's okay. So sure. out of college, um, so I, I was working with Steve Lewis. Uh, he owned a bunch of Burger Kings. He owned a little chain called Eastside Mario's, Ribbit Ribs, it, uh- Ribbit Ribs. He had a couple other, you know, smaller franchises. And, you know, I knew I was going to work in that business. And so, you know, I did my little senior internship with him at his office, which was great. And, and I also went into the, some of the fast food and, and chain restaurants and loved it. Loved every second of it. Um, applied to two colleges, Widener University in Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and got into both, but uh, barely got into IUP and uh, barely got out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thing. They said, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, you're in. You're good. You're good. Why don't you, why don't you come in in the summer and take some classes before the fall?" I said, "Okay, is this summer school? What are we go doing here?" But no, it, it was it was a great experience for me at at IUP. I studied restaurants, playing the golf team for a couple of years, and got out of IUP after four years. um You know, my dad. Had, <laughs> Another mentor of mine, my dad said, "You know, uh, I'll I'll take care of the first four years of school. Any any year after that is on you, kid." Okay, all right, good. So that's enough motivation that's pretty for good me. Deal though. Yeah. Well, I went to state school. That was it smart. was I don't know maybe eleven thousand dollars back then from ninety six or two thousand to two thousand four. So were you working at Burger Kings? I got out of college, and so my dad will tell you this too. I got out of college and at, at graduation ceremony, my one professor came up to my family and said, well, Greg, congratulations. It's been, it's been great to, 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 you know, teach you and so on and so forth. What are you going to do now? And I said, with such excitement, I'm going to be the general manager of a burger King.
1: <laughs> What'd you go to school for again? And If you're a restaurant, restaurant of- management nice. and
0: restaurant and hotel management and, I was just so proud because I was going to go work with Steve Lewis and, you know, a mentor of mine and a friend of mine. And, and I knew that I was going to learn from him. And, and at the time I said, well, I'm going to buy Burger Kings. I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn from him and then I'm going to turn around and, and make this my career and make it into, um, you know a company that i want to that i want to start
1: but i think there's something to, there's almost like a stigma around franchises and mm-hmm. corporations especially with the young i think uh romanticized individuals who think you know like they're going to do a, a brand new menu every day and it's mm-hmm. going to be like you know like that's beautiful don't get me wrong it's also really challenging mm-hmm. uh it's hard to make that profitable too you know and i think we, there's a lot to be learned about going early into a career where there's rigid systems processes procedure procedures organization i think we don't give it enough credit it's almost like people see it as being soulless um but at the same time it's it's how you make this this industry profit right you thousand know? percent
0: you know i liked working in fast food i didn't love it but you know, it certainly taught me a, a great deal about what I did. I was going through some, some stuff at the time I and mean, my mother was sick and, um, you know, kind of going downhill fast. So I wasn't in a great mental space at the time, but you know, I, I look back at my time everywhere and, and, and any job that I had as I learned a ton and I'm so grateful for where I worked and, and what I did because all of the people that took the time to show me along the way, that's what's why I'm here and luckily doing what I love. So, um, when, how long were you there for at Burger say? King? Yeah, or IEP? Uh, Burger King, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah no,
0: um, Burger King. I was only there for about a year or so, year and a half, and then I went to another chain restaurant. After that, and went to a place called Pizzeria Uno, and also learned, you know, a great deal of of structure, company structure, and you know, how to, how to get the most out of the workforce. And, you know, again, this was in 2000 and 2001. So much different time than now on what restaurants are like. And this is uh, both, both experiences were outside of the city. Um, in one was in Conchahokan, I think, and then the one in Westchester, And, you know, I learned a a lot really when I went from Burger King to to Pizzeria Uno. I really realized the effect of of the staff and how much, uh, if they, how much they contribute to the overall experience for the guests. And how, you know, as a manager and and as a leader, you know, I have to be great and and be consistently great
1: too. So, what was it that pulled you away from the the franchise model or the the corporate model?
0: You mean from Pizzeria Uno?
1: Yeah, well, you, Burger King, Pizzeria Uno, yeah. and then from there, I see that you are at Jones's. And I'm, that's yeah, not
0: a, well, I went I went from Pizzeria Uno to Star Restaurants. Star restaurants, but restaurants. I okay. left Pizzeria Uno and didn't really know what I was going to do, and you know, I I don't know. I was twenty. Oh, so Jones's is
1: the first restaurant. Jones's under I see now under yep, the star under star restaurants. Yeah. Years. So I mean, that's I mean a really great I mean. I feel like that's yeah. a great
0: path. I have a funny story about that so. okay, get into I it. have a lot of funny stories, but
1: <laughs> Yeah, so what was going on why so, were you disillusioned with the corporate life? No, what, I just didn't like
0: that? it. It you know, it, it was not again uh, g- mother was still sick at the time and kind of going through that. And I just said, you know what? I need a little break, and I, I I left that place. And I remember I faxed my resume into Star Restaurant Organization. F A X, fax, and I I sent it in. And I actually got. I said, well, they're not going to reply to me because I have Burger King and Pizzeria Uno on my resume. For Christ's sake, this is you know Star Restaurants, the preeminent restaurant group in Philadelphia at the time, and you know very much uh, looked up to in that regard still. And I got a call from a young lady, uh, Michelle Wagner, uh, maybe Michelle Camarda at this time, and uh, she was in charge of HR at the time. And you know, we had a phone interview, and I was—I remember—I was on the beach in Avalon, New Jersey at the time. You know, just kind of down there on the weekend with with some buddies of mine, and um, had a had a call with her. And then after about seven interviews, I got hired. Uh, from Star Restaurants two of them were with Steven and you know I knew I was going to have to interview with him a couple times I knew he'd look at my resume and be like eh, what the heck's going on well, you here? also
1: didn't you came in as a manager which I, was, yes. I think was a statement yes. too you know yeah. so what did they ever tell you what it was about you and in your interview and your resume that that appealed to them
0: not in the moment but Al told me uh, you know Al Lucas my business partner now friend mentor and um, just overall good guy you know he he, he was the one that really hired me in 2002 I think he was director of restaurants or, or that that was his title then but um, he just he said he fought for me with Stephen because of I guess you know character family life and upbringing and 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 so on and and um, you know after fast forward about 13 and a half years I was the longest tenured person in star restaurants and wow. in, in operations, you know, minus a few people that were in the back office.
1: So why are those things, family life, tenure, all, or not tenure, but you said family life, what were the other reasons? Um,
0: family, family life, tenure. character, yeah.
1: Um, how did he know that? I mean, how did this manifest in the interview? I,
0: I don't know. I think it probably came out in my values and my orientation on, on my values and, and what it means to, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated and um, have respect for everyone and everything going on and understanding the good in people. You know, I, I, think that it was, it was values oriented.
1: You spent 13 years and five months with star restaurant group from 2002 mm-hmm. to 2015. 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2016 you opened your own place to That's find hospitality. This mm-hmm. is, I don't think I've ever had anybody on the show that was, I mean, you also worked with, you know, two other restaurant groups, Uno and Burger yeah. King before yes. that, um, we're going to be able to go deep, man. We're going to be able to go year (laughs) by year with this and really talk about your evolution. So I mean, what was it like when you first got hired?
0: I remember being so proud that I just got hired uh, from, like I said earlier, the preeminent restaurant team in Philadelphia. And, I said, I'm just going to go after it and, and, and do the best job that I can and learn the most that I can. And I, when I tell you, I didn't know anything about like the food side of the business. I didn't even know what mirepoix was at the time. And, you know, I remember Bradley Bartram, my first, who he was the culinary director of star restaurant at the time. You know, I walked in day two, I'm on the pass, you know, I'm learning, learning how to expedite. And he goes, well, we, we, we make this with mirepoix," And I'm like, the hell's mirror pop you're talking about dude. And so he told me obviously what it was and
1: how do they handle you? Were they like, did they scoff at you? Were they like, oh, no,
0: no, they didn't this, because Jones Jones was a comfort food restaurant. You know, it was not a, it was not meant to be a fancy restaurant. You know, they may have scoffed at me at at other restaurants well, and I certainly got that along the way. You walked away
1: from the past. Yeah,
0: probably, <laughs> but I don't care. But well, that's another mantra. Um, You know, I didn't really care what people said. I just knew that I was going to go in and learn the most that I could. Yeah. But
1: there's also an underlying lesson here that there's no place for pretension in the restaurant industry. And if you create that culture. Yeah. And it seems like the star restaurant group knew this really early on. Um, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but to have that culture, or maybe it was just this individual who at that moment just, you know, knows that that's not going to, to make you feel less, is not going to help you or the organization. Right. 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 Um, so you're, you go back to that moment. You're doing, you're doing, uh, you're at the pass. You're, you're doing that. Yeah.
0: And I just remember Bradley saying, you know, that we make this with mirror problem. Like yeah. what the hell, what, what the heck is this? And, and he told me, and I just remember that level of care that he had at the time for, I mean, I was 25 years old. I and, an asshole. You, you know, right. I didn't know anything from, from tomorrow. And he took the time to, to show me. And, you know, I think at the time star restaurants had six or seven, maybe eight restaurants. And I just remember feeling part of the group in that sense. And, you know, learned a lot of lessons along the way, you know.
1: What was your evolution like? your your evolution working with like this, like one of the most well-known restaurateurs in the country Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I think it's still going on my, my evolution in, 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 um, in the restaurant biz. But, um, I know, you know, looking backwards uh, at that age, um, I was, you know, young and hungry and I still feel young and hungry to, to try to fight every day to, to get, the best out of everyone and the best out of everything and, and serve the best food, the best beverage, the best hospitality. Um, but my evolution was, you know, as you can probably imagine, I was a, a young, inexperienced kid trying to learn everything I can and kind of got my own way sometimes too.
1: So that was your, your struggle, your challenge. how do you overcome it? And give, give me an example of how you get in your own way. Mm,
0: well, I, I would, you know, maybe, make a mistake and say too much or, uh, um, I remember, you know, I remember early on at Jones and, you know, one of the, one of the lessons that my father taught me along the way when I was a kid was, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. And I remember, um, there was a server at, at Jones and, and I said something to her and she looked at me in a way like, how could you say something like that to me? And it wasn't anything egregious. It was just like a, you know, Hey, come on, let's go. But I remember, saying that and then I talked to my father later that night and he said well it doesn't sound like you treated her like she wanted to be treated and that moment right there changed me and and how i you know spoke with and, and communicated with, with folks that I work with, um, you know, because everybody at the end of the day, everybody tries to do a great job and wants to do a great job. And, 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 and with that, you know, and, and with the understanding that everybody's a human being and they have a lot of things going on inside and outside of work, you know, coming together and, and doing it together is the special, yeah. it's the special part.
1: I mean, it's really early to get woo, woo, but I'm (laughs) going to go there anyway. But like, no, there's a lot of science. Like I literally, and it's top of mind for me because I just finished interviewing today, Tom um, Sterner, Tom Sterner, the author of uh, it's just a thought. He has a a couple other books out too, Mm -hmm. but his most recent is just a thought and the whole idea of just, he gets into that book about like, I don't know if you follow the idea of quantum physics and uh, just this idea of we, consciousness and how consciousness is singularity I don't does any of this ring about the what the words I'm using right now it if, involves
0: a book so no.
1: <laughs> so it's just this <laughs> idea that like like we are we share consciousness. And it, it's um, not just you and Human me, beings, but if you yes. believe in aliens, it's like right. the one thing that connects all mm-hmm. life on earth and in the universe is awareness. Mm-hmm. Like life is aware and we all share this consciousness. And I sometimes wonder if like if literally the way that you, we might have different beliefs and values and perspectives, but the way that we experience life right. is literally the same. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of quantum physics, like what, how I experience the world in terms of the, what my feelings are. At the end of the day, we all just want the same things to be respected, right? right. Yeah, and yeah, and like, to do a great job and, and have a it's great life, a, yeah, yeah, and to, to treat others the way you want to be treated mm-hmm. is just such an easy way to to like, would I want this? How would I feel if somebody exactly. was talking to me like this? exactly? You know, it's just such an easy way to simplify yes. all that.
0: Yeah, um, and I've you know my my whole career, I've tried to keep things simple and not to get too complicated with with items. I mean, uh, kind of a thing for my father. You know, he was always very, you know, he still has some one-liners that are very, you know, simple. But, you know, he's like, either you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. And I know that's, you know, something silly for me to say, but it kind of brings you backwards a little bit and and slows you down and has you understand big picture. Like, it's really not that big of a deal.
1: So the first, uh, I would say, from 2000, so two years and approximately three years Of your time with Star, you were manager and assistant manager, Mm -hmm. and then you evolved, eventually got your general manager position. Correct. It looks like you're a general manager under multiple concepts for um, one, four, five, six, six years?
0: Yeah, so Jones, then Continental Midtown... I was the pod manager. Yep. AGM. And then I went to continental old city to be the, the GM there. I was the second GM. There was a guy named Richard Roberts, who was the, the longstanding 11 year, uh, GM opening GM of Steven's first restaurant and Steven's best friend at the time. And I took over continental old city, uh, as the GM of 27, or 28. And again, you know, I kind of got my own way and wanted to like, you know, take care of everything and clean the place up physically and, you know, make sure we were doing everything correctly and, you know, kind of standard bear and kind of got my own way a little bit there too. learned from it's my
1: standard bear,
0: st- like wanted to like keep things. They're a little loose there, right. From, from my comfortability, from a got hospitality it. standpoint. And, and, you know, I'm a, a kind of a, I like to control things a little
1: yeah. bit, <laughs> which is okay. It's good if you're a manager. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Well, it's and as long as it's so channeled it's, too. Yeah. you right.
0: And, um, so I, I went in there and got a little too uh, guns a blazing, if you will.
1: So, which look at, when was this? Uh, which restaurant? That was
0: Continental Old City. So, and then after that, I went Afterpod. to no, no, that's before Pod. Before Pod. Okay. Yeah. So, so Continental Midtown and Continental Old City are two separate got it, got uh, it. restaurants. So I went to Continental Old City and then I went to Pod, which is in University City. And that's a, you know, Pan Asian restaurant. So let's
1: hover over Continental for mm-hmm. a second. So, like, the, the lesson here was you can't go guns ablaze and command and control. That's what you were doing. Mm-hmm. What happened?
0: Well, I didn't, I didn't. Gain the respect from from everyone, right? I went in expecting it, and and I, and I had to
1: expecting respect.
0: Yes, and I had to gain it, and I had to listen to myself and listen to to everyone else. You know, I my my thing most of my career and still to this day is work harder than anybody else, and you know, be on the ground and be be talking with everyone and learn learn everything I can. But you know, I was still doing that, but I was just not creating the relationships that I really needed to create in the moment so that I could properly lead the team.
1: How did you know you didn't have their respect?
0: Just the the
1: look on their face.
0: (laughs) They just, they didn't, some of them didn't like me. Some of them didn't respect me. And yeah, I just, you know, learned some, some big life lessons there on, on how to, how to truly slow down and, and learn from, for myself and learn from, from others that are doing it and that, that know more about it than I do. And I have to, you know, I was a lot of my career, I was also the youngest of youngest GM, youngest director, youngest, blah, blah, blah. So,
1: so how did you evolve as a professional to go from a manager that has no respect? You're in there, your command, your control. I wouldn't say no respect. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying, but you, 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 want, you needed some respect, right? right? right. Um, how, did you, how did you get that? What was the tipping point? Like when did things start to shift for you?
0: I mean, it just conversations with my mentor, Steve Lewis, my father, um, you know, Al Lucas too, it just conversations and reaching out to my friends and mentors and, and saying, not being afraid to tell them of some potential failures that I had and not being afraid of, of you know, what they may think about me. And always have the, the tenacity to, to be great. And you know, I could, I knew through my relationship with them that I could reach out to them, and there would be no ill ill feelings or hey, what the hell, knock it off. It was it was there was still care on their end to listen to me and to provide direction.
1: So, do you remember this conversation uh, when you went to Steve Lewis and you're like, S- you know, Steve, like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling that they don't seem to respect my uh, you know opinions, my my requests my mm-hmm. also my orders, but you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, what was his advice? What did it was
0: very similar to what my father would say is, mm-hmm. you know, treat people the way you want to be treated and, and you know, you have to listen to them. I remember, Steve is a big listener and, yeah. and he, you know, I would remember walk, watching him going to his, you know, his units, he would call them Burger Kings. his um, stores i guess and he would look at everybody in the eye and say hello to them and say goodbye to them and you know that was that was an important piece to the puzzle that i was missing also i was i was lacking you know the 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 hellos and the goodbyes you thought the title
1: itself was enough to earn the respect Mm -hmm. you didn't realize that the relationships caring about others is how you earn Mm -hmm. the
0: respect yeah and i was certainly you know proud that i was the second GM of that restaurant, right underneath the the nose of the corporate office of Star Restaurants, and I knew that you know they put me there for a reason. Right. That a they believed in me, but b they wanted to keep their eye on me too. So, <laughs> what
1: was the next evolution for you as you're mm-hmm. marching along? You're the assistant general manager for the Continental. Mm-hmm. You uh, you go to the second con- the Continental restaurant and Martini Bar from 2006 to 2008. Uh, was there an, a point for you, like a, a next evolution, a next struggle?
0: Yeah, certainly. I went to Pod Restaurant and I had to learn all over again, right? A new cuisine, a new staff, um, kind of an, a slightly elevated culinary team from 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 Continentals and Pods or Continentals and Jones, pardon me, and just and obviously sushi chefs and learn that whole um, culture and 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 learn from them how to, how to be great. But, you know, at that point in 2008, you know, I was, I was feeling, feeling pretty good about, you know, my management style and leadership and my, my ability to connect with, with people and, and not only the the staff, but also the guests.
1: At this point, what was your style?
0: My style? Um, Hmm. Good question. Uh, I guess My style, you know, I hate to say it like this, but my style has always been very hands-on in in getting it done with everyone. Lead by example. Lead by example, yes. And, you know, uh, I think my style at, at when I got to pod was also, you know, really connect more with the guests, too. And... I loved it. I, I loved. What's
1: that it. evolution look like for you? Being getting better at connecting with the guests. How just, did you get better at that? Just repetitions.
0: Yeah, just repetition and just just being in front of them and, and knowing knowing you know. Back to your point about you know the, when you were at the halfway house and knowing what Mister Smith wanted with his uh, Snickers bar or whatever the, whatever the case may be. You know, you just remember those those items and you know our ability to take notes in their in the reservation notes and remember next time and reach out to them and um, you know Pod's an interesting restaurant at the time. Because unfortunately, (laughs) they had these three colored rooms, you know, rooms, when I say they they change colors, you know, pink, purple, blue, it's really gnarly looking. Um, But there was this incessant desire from our guests, the parties of five or more, to sit in one of those pods. And so there was a lot of back and forth. Yeah, it was was really silly. But, you know, (laughs) hey, people wanted it.
1: (laughs) So... Would you say, in two thousand and eleven after your three year tenure at, at pod mm-hmm. um I mean at the end of this, were you ready to open your own restaurant uh
0: it's a great question because actually, when I was at pod in two thousand ten, I almost did open my own restaurant yeah. with with other uh friends of mine and other stars no 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 it was it was me, I was the guy, and then you know I had three uh, investors with me uh all still friends of mine to this day
1: putting yourself in that version of yourself the 2010 version of yourself mm. what part of you made you feel like you were ready what part of you if any thought maybe you weren't ready
0: yeah uh, great question you know it just didn't have the culinary expertise and, and the wherewithal to see that large piece of the puzzle through
1: so when you're saying culinary you mean the culinary chops that the and cook or
0: mm. no to understand it and to, to see business. it through yeah to, so, to see it through and and didn't you know it was, we were going to open up like a gastropub and, you know, we, we, uh, we had a great location, what well, we thought was a great location it stinks now, but, you know, we thought it was a great location and it was going to do well for, you know, two years, but we were going to be out of business after two years, probably Wilding looking that. back just, you know, m- inexperience and. You know, uh, just knowing what I know now today with my partnership with, you know, Nick, uh, Kennedy, Al Lucas, Roland, David Reuter, you know, all of us putting our heads together. And really, <laughs> I mean, it's it's mind shocking the difference between what I thought I knew then to what I know now and our ability to to see projects through and really look at each other in the eye across the room and say, this is going to work, this isn't going to work.
1: Knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. what didn't you know then?
0: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, I, business. You know, th- there was. I, I still need to learn a lot about the the business in general. P and Ls and cash flow and costing, costing. Fi- fi- yeah, all of the all of those. So you're at those this fun point. Items.
1: You're mostly front of house.
0: All front front of house. Yeah. Yes. And
1: when you were with the uh, the corporate operations, Uno and and Burger King, I feel like. I mean, why didn't you, did, what did you, were you not in the back of the house during those experiences? No, I
0: mean, I was a manager and, you know, I, I made some salads every once in a while, got but it, that was about it. it.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, back, like, again, just like, it, it, you're in a time machine. Mm-hmm. It's 2023, you're getting in the time machine, you're going back to 2010, you just pop in front of yourself. That, that version of yourself's there and you can talk yourself out of it. Mm-hmm. What are you saying?
0: I'm saying I'm talking myself out of
1: it. Yeah, <laughs> saying you, you need more back of house yeah, you profitability. Know, I, I just processes. needed more
0: experience and you know I remember at the time my eyes were wide open to the space and there were some glaring issues with the facility that we wanted to take over that I reached out to a plumber friend of mine and he came in and he said Greg I, you should walk away. This is not this is not a good deal. I mean the ink was uh, we were about to sign later that day, and I it's, called the landlord and said, hey, "We can't do it."
1: It's really easy to fall in love with the space. It is, and like yes. you just get the shutters the vision, the dream starts mm-hmm. coming in. Like, this is my ticket. This right. is the only opportunity right. I'm going to get. I need to make this happen right now. If I don't make this happen, right. I'll never get another chance. This mm-hmm. is not rational. Thinking.
0: No, it's not. You're in dream mode. Right. You know, and, you know, it's 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 interesting. You know, fast forward into, you know, when Nick Roland and I started Root Restaurant. It wasn't named after me, I swear. <laughs> and, you know, we, we started that. You know, that's really when I, I learned. I'm sorry? Oh, it wasn't it after it was not named after me. just want to reiterate that one more time. It was named you know it was a restaurant and wine bar, so yeah. root you know with the with the wine roots right. and correlation between to all that maybe
1: maybe they 're <laughs> still lying to
0: me to this day. who knows <laughs> but you know when we were Roland really designed Roland cassis designed root restaurant and wine bar, and that was an element that I certainly didn 't have. I understood and appreciated design in restaurants and elements and architectural design and and, and actual interior design but you know seeing Roland do that with such care and detail yeah. was like okay this is this is for real
1: so when he's a designer is he like a developer more architecture like the build-out or is he's he more, more
0: of an interior, interior understander and designer and he, you know he's a world traveler he sees you know great restaurants and, and hotels and, and meeting spaces all around the world and he knows you know pardon me what works and what doesn't work, and you know, there's a couple things that are a little maniacal that you know I would sit, turn around and be like, eh, this, we we don't need to waste the money on it." But in the end, you know, it, it works out, and we have we're very fortunate. We have some beautiful restaurants uh, in our in our in our group.
1: So you get the advice uh, from this, um, assuming some kind of contractor, somebody who knows plumbing, and says mm-hmm. this isn't a good deal. There's going to be a nightmare project if you right. start breaking up the. The floor and pipes are going to be moved, or whatever the situation was. What what changed in you in the 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 five years to come? Yeah, well, become ready.
0: If I may, you know, I can go backwards. You know, I um, unfortunately went through a a good deal of adversity in my life when my mother passed away when I was about twenty five years old. You know, and yeah, it sucked. It still sucks, but you know, we're, we're dealing with it. And you know, the that adversity taught me to make and, and feel great about decisions. And, and I remember, you know, he, he said, Hey, you should walk away from this. It's not a, it's not a good deal. I just said, okay, yeah, you're right. I see it. I understand it. Maybe it's subconscious. Maybe I don't totally see it, but I understand what you're saying. Thank you. And I called my guys and said, guys, we're not going to do this. It's not worth it. Okay, great. We're out.
1: I hate to go deeper Mm and your mom passing, but Mm -hmm. I'm missing the connection and, and how your mom passing helped you be better at making decisions.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, mother's, mother passing is is one of the most, um, you know, adversity-ridden experiences a, a young man can go through in his life. And, you know, just the, all the emotions that, that you have when, when a parent or, or sibling passes away, you know, go through your, go through yourself. But you also have these moments in life during, during the adversity that you say, okay, it's time. It's time to rock and roll. Time to do it. Let's go. So mm-hmm. that's that's really, it's as simple as that for it's me. It you a little mm-hmm. bit. It makes it a little mm-hmm. harder. Got yep. it.
1: Um, so between, so 2000, it was what, 2000 pod is when you had 2010, you had the opportunity to possibly open your own place. Uh, were there anybody from that original potential partnership, to, were they a part of what's now today defined? No. Completely different partners. Yeah, all different completely
0: people. Completely different partners, yeah. All friends, golfing buddies now right
1: um <laughs> so I mean how what were what were your challenges between 2010 and 2015
0: yeah so I um, you know I, I remember you know I, I said to Al Lucas at the time at pod he was the vice president of star restaurants and you know they were opening up in DC at the time lit diplomat which is a behemoth of a restaurant and I remember him coming in after taking the train he, he kind of sat at the bar was eating eating sushi or, or what have you and uh he said how you doing Greg I think he called me Greggy at the time which is fine too but he um I said I'm I'm pretty good pretty good I think it's time for something new for me though I, I'm I'm ready to go he know he knew that I was done with the other pro- potential project and I was back it was about 6 8 months separate of you know when I turned that off to you know, my commentary with him. And, you know, he, he said, okay, all right, cool. And then maybe another week passes. And he said, Hey, what do you think about, you know, opening up a German beer garden in, in Fishtown? I go, where's Fishtown? And this is in 2010 when I talked to him about it. And he said, well, let's, let's get in a car. You, me, Bradley, let's go and look at the space. And I remember walking in there and, and like, my gosh, this is what what a great space this is. I mean, an old warehouse, trees growing out of the walls, like it's looks Sounds gnarly. Majestic. Yeah, no. but you know, obviously, you know, and that was Roland's building. Roland because he's owned it and still owns it, and that was his building. And you know, I remember walking in like, this is this is home right here. This is great. I'm gonna.
1: But you don't drink beer.
0: I don't drink beer. How
1: did I know that? I <laughs> like told I'm... you. <laughs>
0: it turns out I did, and I do, but not that much, and I love <laughs> it. No, I, the the story I think he said was 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 true. You know that um, I said to him, I said, Al, I, one thing I don't drink beer, man. And he said, yeah, I'm not paying you to drink the beer. I'm paying you to run the restaurant. <laughs> <I> go, okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'll drink the beer, but also the same, and he did at
1: the same time. <laughs> but I think it also shows his just business savviness and building teams and recognizing like if somebody straight out flat out tells you like i'm looking for a change mm-hmm. you know that that person's gonna go find it you right. better be their change you better be their opportunity you better, yeah you, you better provide that for them And yeah I,
0: yeah i wasn't going anywhere in the sense of i wasn't gonna leave star restaurants you know certainly there were you know nibbles here and there a, a, a along my time you know when other executives would leave and they hey greg you want to come and work with us but nothing was was serious enough for me to to leave but al's one of al's great character and, and ability is to build a team to your point. And he understands people and understands and, and can, can, can visualize where they would be great and who they would be great with. And that's, that's a, that's, that's a tough thing to Match have. Personality. Yes.
1: Yeah. So this is uh, Frankfurt hall,
0: Frankfurt hall. Yes. That's
1: where you spend the next two years and four months. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you evolve? as a restaurateur as a manager at mm-hmm. this
0: point. That was one of the best, you know, when I was working for someone else. That was that was probably the best time that I had learning about myself and and from an entrepreneurial sense learned what I could do and could think of to with, with the help of other people, you know, to to expand the business and to grow the business. I mean, we we took a restaurant that was a beer garden that had, you know, sausages, pretzels, and and a ton of beer And, you know, how do we make it fun? How do we make it a party? How do we, how do we just like make it bigger and better every day and every year? And, you know, we did Oktoberfest and MyFest and a guy that we worked with and still work with a little bit, Josh came up with a, an idea called Nerd Night. And, you know, just the, you know, there was another manager that came up with, you know, hey, let's have Jenga on every table. And, you know, it was just that, that general vibe that we had at the, at our manager meetings and, and, you know, always together just talking, hey, what can we do that's going to make a experience for our guests. What are we going to do? We threw literally everything up against the wall. Some of it stuck, some of it didn't. Um Shark Week was a fail for us, but that's okay. <laughs> but you don't know until you know. So you got Correct. to throw everything. Yes. And see what
1: sticks. Like everything is a a trial, right? And what right. has traction sticks around what doesn't? What's a flop? Yeah. You know, falls away and-
0: I mean, I remember we did Oktoberfest inside only the first year. And I said to Josh and to Al, we we have to do this on the street. We we have to do the street festival, and you know we're going in like okay, we're going to do like forty thousand dollars in sales, you know we did like $75,000 the first year, like, holy crap. And, you know, I got there at five in the morning, didn't leave until like, you know, midnight or 1am, but felt so satiated with the job that the entire team did to bring this to life. And there's, you know, they're still doing Oktoberfest on the street every year and, and killing it. And, and, um, you know, I was, I was very lucky in the sense that, you know, I said something to Al, like, Hey, it's time for me to roll. Steven was opening up a beer garden. Al thought of me to to put me at this beer garden and I haven't left Fishtown since 2010 and I'm incredibly grateful for all of that happening.
1: So, if I'm distilling the lessons, did you just learn more about how to produce and coordinate and execute events and realizing that the industry is more about experience than mm-hmm. anything else and, yeah. and creating those experiences? Yeah. Well, well said, yeah. So, like, how do we recreate what you did? What advice do you have for creating an experience? What what elements need to be there to have these events?
0: Yeah, I think you just have to look at every perspective for every audience member. You know, it's from the kids. You know, even let's let's take Oktoberfest for for example at Frankfurt Hall. You know, we would we would think about events for the kids. Why? Because on Saturdays and Sundays we were open at noon, and you know we would have families. We would have an evolution of the day of the guests throughout that that entire day. So you know, in the beginning we would have the local families come in. You know, young kids and and grandparents, and then towards you know two, three, four o'clock, you get the younger. You know, twenty five, twenty six uh your old crew ready to rock and roll and then you know it just kinda kept going from there. So um, you know, really just think about every guest and and how can you create a great experience for them. And, you know, the first year was good um for Oktoberfest, but, you know, it was a little loosey goosey in, in the sense of, you know, we just had a couple beer trucks and, you know, one stand out there, a six foot table for the for the pretzels and the sausage and you know, it was great. People loved it. But we, we knew going in uh, the, the day after Oktoberfest, you know, when everybody came back, I think it was Monday, I called a meeting. I'm like, all right, we're going to talk about Oktoberfest for next year.
1: Yeah. While it's still fresh, what <laughs> yeah. can we do better? How can like, we what, do, what, do you, what are you talking about?
0: We just got done. Yeah, no, we need fresh. to talk about it right now. What's going to make it bigger and better?
1: And that's a big lesson right there. We we put a lot of emphasis on the pre-shift meeting, whatever you want to call it, the, you know, the... right. The whatever informational, yes, yeah, but we never do anything. There's not a lot of talk about the post shift meeting, mm-hmm. and I think the post shift meeting oh. does not get nearly enough credit or attention as it should. Good point. Um, is that something that's standard in star restaurants after every shift? There's a reflection, a, a debrief,
0: yeah. There's, there's a you know something called nightly summaries that we have in our company as well. And the managers and chefs will, you know, enter everything from you know any call outs or or people um you know wins or 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 concerns and food comments from the guests food comments from our you know daily check and and plus check and you know sales comps you know everything and we get them at i don't know 6 or 7 in the morning and read them every day wow yeah um so them.
1: <laughs> you had 7 years as a general manager throughout multiple concepts with star restaurant before getting promoted to director of operations in 2013 what how was this a a challenge for you? What was the evolution? Yeah. Was there any challenge to come naturally?
0: Yeah. Lots of challenge. Um, lots of lessons along the way too. you know, one of the, the biggest challenge is, you know, getting results through others when you're, when you're on the, 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 I don't want to say corporate, but home office level, right? And you know, it's easy for for an experienced operator to do things themselves, right? I, yeah, I got it. Don't worry, I I got it. It's harder when you have to take a step back and say, "Hey, come on, I need you to do this," or "This is the why behind what we're doing." And do you understand? And this is how, you know, I think you should direct. But it's also not so much me or or that person in leadership explaining how to do it unless it's needed to be explained it's more of questions being a good question asker you know that's that's a key ingredient to being a great leader and multi-unit operator
1: so listening first Mm -hmm. pulling and like using questions to go deeper
0: right right Uh, and then also you know just getting the results and not not saying no
1: getting the results, Would you mean elaborate on
0: that. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, with, um, with, you know, a large organization like star restaurants, you know, it's, it's results focused and results based. And, um, you know, it was always a, a goal of mine to, you know, understand what our goals were and get those results and get those goals obtained and, and get those obtained through, you know, the other restaurants. So, so and not saying no
1: to the people, at the next level, like no, wasn't an option. I mean, no, always is an option, but <laughs> last resort. Right. So, but what happens when you don't say no and you say, yes, I'll figure it out. What's going on there? Well, I mean, it's, it's not about
0: saying no, like from, from a superior giving me a uh, direction. It's, it's about properly managing up at the moment as well. And, you know, I've always spoke my mind, you know, with, with my superiors and, you know, when I was at, in, in star restaurants and, you know, sometimes that was great and sometimes that wasn't great, but I knew that they knew I was always going to tell them what I felt and they, they felt satiated from that regard.
1: What's the benefit in candor?
0: And candor, is you know everybody knows where they stand at the end of every day, and they yeah. understand you know where they are as a as a leader and as a as an individual. You know, one of our general managers at at Kalia, who was a GM at Seraya, Phoebe O'Leary, outstanding individual. You know, she she really appreciates understanding where she stands at the end of every day, and and I have a great relationship with her, and you know she she took us from serving. <laughs> Um, serving takeout food at Sareya at, at the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, she was our AGM then and then, you know, led the team as a GM and then opened up Kalia. But, you know, she and I worked very closely together for for two years and just candor is everything for, for individual personalities. And, and
1: I mean, I think it's important too. And like, I think it's establishing a culture that recognizes, listen, like we're direct speakers. We're going to say things, inconvenient truths. We're going to share information. I'm not coming at you as an individual, I'm correcting the process. You know, it's not, I think it's sometimes it's hard to remove the emotion out of it. The person mm-hmm. like that.
0: A lot of emotions in restaurants. Yeah. At like the yeah. same
1: time, but being candid, just speaking directly, factually. Right. And saying like, this isn't a, a, yeah. a statement on you and the work you're doing, but you're like, this is the, the process and you're not, you know, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know. Um, I mean, is there advice that you can give on how to speak directly if you want to be heard with, with, tiptoeing around, like also not wanting to disrespect people. Certainly.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I I think it's just, it also goes back to treating people the way you want to be treated. Right. Yeah. I mean, going backwards, you know, when you're growing up as a, as a, as a child and you know, your parents are saying, don't, you know, don't do this, don't do that. They're not saying, you know, but, but they're telling you why also, right. That's a key ingredient is, is to, you know, be candid, but, but explain the why, you know, mm-hmm. exp- why this is not, what you should do or why this is what you should be doing or why we are opening up a each restaurant or why we were opening up a, a Thai restaurant in, in Fishtown, you know?
1: So how did your day to day change being the director of restaurants? Well, what, what, like what did you, you went from being every day in a restaurant mm-hmm. that restaurants, your baby, you're managing that restaurant. Mm-hmm. How did your life change as director of restaurants?
0: Um, well, I went to every restaurant, that was under my umbrella, I think I had, you know, upwards of seven or eight at a time that I was directly responsible for. And, you know, going back and it was a little bit more office related, you know, obviously there was a a financial, a a large financial piece to, to the envelope there. Um, But it was also, you know, I took it as, you know, I had to be, uh, I wanted to be and had to be a mentor for some of the managers and uh, GMs. You know, I looked back at my experience growing up through Star Restaurants and, you know, the folks that were in the position that I all of a sudden was in treated me that way. So I, I felt it, I felt indebted to, to be that way to, to, everyone else and create those relationships and, and take people as far as they really wanted to be taken.
1: What were the things you were focused on as director of operations, um, director of restaurants?
0: Sure. Yeah. It was, it was cleanliness of the restaurants, the, the vibe, the energy of the restaurants. When I walked in the lights, music temperature of the, of the inside of the dining room, um, you know, the, the people the 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 staff uh, working working in the restaurant how they were treating one another
1: so is it a matter of maintaining the standards mm-hmm. or is it innovating and changing the standards
0: it's it's maintaining the standards at that time with that organization yes it was you know i i was uh, i had like i said about seven restaurants at the time and it was certainly maintain those standards i think the youngest restaurant that i was overseeing at the time was probably 2 or 3 years old so it was it was certainly maintain mode
1: so a lot of things you just dropped on us were, again, front of house, ambience, mm-hmm. um temperature, lighting, mm-hmm. things like that, maintaining those experiences. And people, yeah. And people, but you're still not getting the back of house chops nope. that we talked about before. <laughs> um, when did that come in? Was that a crash course? When I don't launch? think I have them. Oh, uh, well, <laughs> at least you're being honest about it, but at the same time, you also have a partner. Right. Um, who, is he stronger in those things? Nick uh, Kennedy uh, or Al? Well, well yeah, Nick. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe now's a good time just to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll come right back to talk about like how this all came together. This podcast is brought to you by Mies, the culinary operating system for food professionals. As a chef and restaurant owner for the past 20 plus years, Mies founder and CEO Josh Sharkey was frustrated that only the financial and inventory software was available in the kitchen. And while those are important, they don't actually address the process of cooking, training, production, collaboration, and execution. Whether you're a chef, mixologist, consultant, operator, or generally, if you manage, a recipe intended for professional kitchens, Mee's was built just for you. Organize, share, prep, and scale your recipes like never before. Plus, get laser accurate food costs and nutritional analysis faster than you could ever imagine. Chefs that use Mies have seen on average 70% reduction in training time for new staff, 20 to 30% less food waste and overproduction, and an average of 30 to 50,000 reduction in annual cost of goods sold from their easy to use recipe engineering. Part of the magic in Mies is a built-in database of thousands of ingredients that have been tested by Mies chefs and registered dietitians to ensure all the yield loss when you prep an ingredient as well as the unit conversions from volume to weight to pieces are built in, not to mention automated allergen tagging to ensure you have a consolidated view of allergens and nutrition. Get started by visiting getmescom slash unstoppable. That's G-E-T-M-E-E-Z.com forward slash unstoppable. And as a listener of Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast, you can get two free months of invoice processing by signing up today revolutionize the way work is done in your kitchen with me's we're back um so after spending 13 years and five months with star restaurant group uh the years 2016 2015 ish um you're thinking about exiting like what's going on yeah what are you what are the feelings you're having
0: right here yeah you know it was it was you know i mentioned my business partner earlier roland cassis And, you know, he and I met when I was the GM at Continental Old City in whatever that was, 2007. And always, he and I always clicked and always got along and and shared similar values and, you know, wanted greatness. And, he owns the building where Frankfurt Hall is, and so you know once I once I worked there, he and I connected again. But you know, really, it, w- it was just we. He and I said, and I don't know when it was, but you know, we we said, hey, let's let's team up together and, and do something do something here. And so
1: he designs the restaurants. You run the
0: rest. Yeah, and he and I were you know fifty fifty partners. It was him and I, and then. um You know, we were we were close to a location. We had the location, and then we looked at each other and said, "We need a chef. (laughs) We need someone that's going to be able to pull this together." And in comes Nick Kennedy, who, I mean, just a stud of a chef, and really just understands layers of flavor, balancing flavors, and you know his ability to to create a menu and to you know really understand different cultures and cuisines and turn them into a well orchestrated well enjoyed experience
1: who was nick kennedy to you at this point did you have a prior he was no one i didn't even know who he was we met he and
0: i randomly met at frankfurt hall got it i had my son's second birthday party there and uh, I met him, you know, I think the day or so before at Frankfurt hall with his wife, Virgie. And I said, Hey, I'm having, uh, my son Gavin's, uh, birthday party here tomorrow. I want you guys to come, you know, you're new to the neighborhood. You know, he, he, I, I realized early that he was in the restaurant business too. just, you know, some of the lingo that we had back and forth. So he came and, you know, he was, he came to fill it out. He moved from New York city. He worked for Jean George and Del Posto and, you know, some elite restaurants. And, um, Work for another restaurant group that I'm forgetting right now, unfortunately. But he was, you know, culinary director for them and opened restaurants in Miami and in, in L.A. And, who was he
1: working for when you had him as a guest to your son's birthday party?
0: He was not working for anyone. No, really? He left New York. Scott Conan's group. That's who it was. Pardon me. Um, and he left New York with the aspiration to open up a restaurant in Philadelphia and so moved his whole family down. He he tells a story that his son Luca and, and daughter Juliana were living in the closet in Jersey city because of the, the, you know, how small everything is there and how much money you need to, to succeed or not to succeed, but to, to to have a, yeah, to have a larger (laughs) (laughs) than a closet, uh, space for your kids. So he moved down with the hopes to, you know, open up his own restaurant. His parents were local enough and, you know, he wanted, he felt like Philadelphia was a a home for him that he can, he can expand on it. So he, he was pretty close to opening up a restaurant in old city. He had a space dedicated and, you know, it was just kind of like one of those moments in life where it's just ironically, you know, meets and he and I meet and I say, Hey, we're going to do something, uh, here, you know, why don't you come and meet, you know, Roland and I and, um, you know, it just kind of matriculated that way and, and got going. And, and you know, I said to, to Nick uh, all along, you know, funny story is, you know, our other restaurant, Soraya, we knew about Soraya as we were opening up Root, and we had a decision before we opened up Root, do we want to open up Soraya first or Root first? And Nick and I looked at each other as the operators. You know, Roland's, Roland's a, a, a great vision guy and a great, um, I guess go-getter you know he wants he's always on to the next thing yeah he's always on to the next thing we all we all make things happen in, in a sense but you know he's pushing the envelope a little bit um and so Nick and I said, no, 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 we're going to open up root first, test this, test this uh, partnership out a little bit and see where Smart. we go.
1: Yeah, I was curious, but I kind of assumed that you guys had a cross paths. I wanted to start a restaurant. No, this. And no, you had some kind of chemistry. So usually, and I see that a lot in the interviews I do. There's two people that like their lives collide working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Somebody's like a, like the, the sous chef. And the other one's like the AGM yeah. or the general manager and they like late night or just like, oh, this would be cool. That'd be cool. And right. All of a sudden their, their dreams, like, they decide the partner and go mm-hmm. make it happen, you know, and they, they use their combined lanes, their talents to, to make it happen. But it sounds like that's also what's happening here. And I mean, the comment that I made earlier where I, th- I said, you know, the days of the, the Steven star solo, you know, entrepreneur restaurant tour being the sole proprietor of a, a restaurant group. I just think those days, I mean, I'm sure there's still people that are going to do it and be successful. Certainly. But it's, it's going to be coming more and more difficult just because I feel like restaurants are becoming more and more complex and, the standards and the expectations, like the cost of goods, like you know, you're gonna have to get better and better at what you do. And right. one way to be better at one thing is to, to, to focus on that one thing right. and have partners who are strong or you're weak, so mm-hmm. collectively you can go further. Is that kind of absolutely? Yeah,
0: learned very early, early on with Nick, like. I didn't have to worry about the food. Yeah, you
1: don't have to worry about costing anymore. You don't yeah, have to worry well, I had to worry, to worry about. about costing, well, but yeah, but that's that's <laughs> not necessarily your lane. Like it's his job right. to calculate.
0: Well, it right? was uh, early on. It was both of our lanes, yeah. and we agreed, you know, not to uh, both be upset or angry <laughs> at the same time. Um, you know, because we, you know, root restaurant wine bar only forty seats, pretty small, twelve hundred square feet uh, space we are you we we both go from you know corporate level positions you know uh, overseeing seven eight nine restaurants at a time to managing He's the executive chef. I'm the GM, essentially, yeah, right. of a 1,200 square foot, 40 seat restaurant. And, you know, that was a challenge for us. But, you know, I knew, you know, Nick, <laughs> I remember I went in. Nick's like, hey, I'm going to make some food today. This is before we open. And he put up um, a dish that we called early on called seafood a la plancha. And there was shrimp and, and uh, scallops and one other fish. And he cooked us. And I looked at him like, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. He goes, I, no, I said, I said, everything everything's cooked perfectly. He goes, that's what it's supposed to taste like. <laughs> like, like he didn't say it in a it's braggy way. Yeah. He didn't, ex- he didn't say like, you know, what do you expect? He said it in a, in a proud, like, yeah, this, this, this is what I got. Like we're doing this. And I just felt, you know, and I've been over, I was over his house uh, many times before experiencing his food, you know, his, his more Italian background, but um, you know, just knowing that I, didn't have to totally worry about the kitchen side of things. You know, there was obviously some layover. You know, I would expect him to ask me questions about what was going on in the operations up front. But we would always, he and I would always agree to everything. Um, before we put it on the menu, right? Or we made a change to a system, or was it just what like have an you.
1: unspoken rule? Or did you no, we commit we, this writing like a terms? We clarified
0: it early on. Um, certainly, there's partnership agreements, but um, you know, from a operational and care, you know, he and I are in the same same sense. You know, young families, and and you know, we we needed this to, have to work out for us. Yeah. I mean, we were shaking in our boots on a daily basis, but you know, we said early on, we set our, our own standards for each other and for the business very early on.
1: So your early restaurants were in, um, what's the name of the community you're in right now? Fishtown. This is still Fishtown. Yeah. And, um, uh, what was the other community of restaurants in?
0: Uh, what well, one's in center city, Rittenhouse square area.
1: Like for those who aren't familiar with mm-hmm. Philadelphia, describe where these cities are relative to the center of the city, uh, relative to demographic and like all sure.
0: That. Yeah, so Fishtown is an unbelievable neighborhood that's within the city of Philadelphia. It's probably I don't know two miles outside of center of city. Uh, you know, with traffic, it'll take you about ten or fifteen minutes to get there. And but it's been a hub of Artistic and uh, culinary and everything activity over the last since 2010, frankly, and you know a lot of development coming on up here. You know, most folks that live up here, you know, there's the old guard, uh, you know, that have lived here from from a very long time ago, Um, and but most of most of the folks that live up here now are anywhere between 25 and 45, and
1: people that like to go out and eat and have a good
0: certainly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and Fishtown, uh, if I can describe it better, you know, as it opposes as it opposes to Center City, Fishtown buildings and architecture are vastly different and 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 greater in a sense where you know we have these big open warehouses and big open uh, stages for us to do what we're doing now. Whereas Center City, you do it, you have a box right here. You have. A beautiful old <laughs> brick box right. uh, that we just opened at Kalia with four walls, but a beautiful cathedral s- ceiling and trusses that are showing. And, you know, you can set the stage in that regard where, like I said, in Center City, it's either new construction or you're taking over an existing space that's been used before and doesn't really have the character that we're looking for in our spaces.
1: No, I think that there's a period go back, say, 20 years ago the 30 40 years ago the opportunity was in the center of cities i feel like all the best restaurants everyone it was all about location 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 mm-hmm. And i feel like now what i've seen there's definitely a trend where it's not best it's, it's you want to be in the momentum markets the markets that you can buy low and sell high and like a couple like, right. you know like the like, where's that edge where's the neighborhood that might not be the best neighborhood now but i know a developer who mm-hmm. knows some secrets and might be buying that land and there's gonna be you know the five condo buildings going up there. And like, like, did you, is that kind of where Roland came in?
0: Uh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, Roland is huge developer up here in Fishtown, kind of started Fishtown, uh, the godfather, I call him. Um, he, (laughs) he started Fishtown, believed in it, took a huge risk and huge chance for himself and his family. And invested in, you know, really the start of Fishtown, where it meets Frankfurt and Girard Avenue, uh, where Root is, which is now R&D, Johnny Brenda's started, and, um, you know, Frankfurt Hall, Feta Sal, and, you know, uh, countless other businesses. And, you know, Roland uh, is a great developer in a sense where he just said, I'm going to buy as much as I can and control it and put the, and develop this neighborhood the way that I want it to be developed and not just just rent it out just to rent it out. What's or, his vision?
1: What, how does he want to develop it?
0: Uh, he just wants it to be the best neighborhood in the country and, and uh, the most in, in, in um, artistic and vibrant neighborhood in, 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 in America, frankly. And um, you know, there's, it's, it's crazy to say this 2010 is when I started up here. It's 2023 now and fish Town is still about 50% developed. And there's it's just more development happening every day. Traffic sucks right now, but it's 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 okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I mean, I, I think too. Like, I for, be the change you want to see in the world. It's probably right. an overused quote, but at the same time, like if it, there's an underserved market, that uh, was it. Was it like a. Before you like in 2010, was it like a, a place you wouldn't necessarily want to put a restaurant where there's no foot traffic? Was it what part of was it like a was it a, a harder part of time? It was town? a desert up here, man. Okay. It was
0: yeah, it was empty. It was just uh, Johnny Brenda's, a few other like corner bars, and then you know Stephen Starr took a big risk on an 11,000 square foot space called Frankfurt Hall, and you know really conceptualized the space perfectly for the neighborhood and for. Um, you know the, the 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 energy that was to come in
1: Fish Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been echoing a lot lately. It's this idea that you know, Restaurant Stoppable's mission is to inspire empower, and transform the industry. But I full heartedly like I think my real mission is to transform the world. And I think the restaurant hmm. industry is the one. To, if there's any industry that has the fluent the influence. I think it's the restaurant industry and it's because we can go into communities and literally transform, them. right? Yep. You know, provide opportunity for people. Like I think Al Lucas is an amazing story and the culture that he has brought to know, it was all of you. Like he started as a dishwasher. Mm-hmm you know, and creating opportunities for dishwashers and giving them a path of growth. And to also put your fucking foot down and say, listen, consumers, (laughs) we need to charge you what this is worth because we need to take care of our people and educating the consumer and the the value of the services we provide. But you're transforming communities, man. I think it's it's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. you, You don't really realize that as you're going along, right? You just, at least for me, I just always, you know, kind of put my head down and obviously pick it up to, to look at other businesses and other restaurant tours and, uh, avenues, you know, what they're doing. And, and, um, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I learned early on, you know, was you know, when I go into other restaurants, it's easy for us to find what's wrong in them, but it's hard to find what they do well. Right. And so it's something that I tell the, the people now is find out what's doing well, but going back to your point about, you know, transforming neighborhoods, I guess is, is kind of the thing is, yeah, you don't really realize it, uh, as you're going along and you just kind of, at least for me and in the way we were made up, I was just, I wanted to be there for the community and, and we wanted to start in Fishtown and, you know, our guest base are largely from Fishtown. I can't tell you the percentage of guests that come from Fishtown at our restaurants, but, you know, it's, it's, we are Fishtown and we're, we're proud. I walk up and down Frankfurt Avenue and, um, you know, it's hard for me to walk, you know, a few blocks without seeing somebody that I know from the restaurants or, you know, uh, the neighborhood. And it's, it's, it's a great moment for me too.
1: So you're seven years into this as a restaurant (laughs) tour, as an owner. Um, you knew that Al Lucas from day one was going to be a part of this eventually, right? I did. Yeah. So that hasn't came out of your story yet, but it did come out of his story (laughs) that like it was, he, he was always, you know, it was always a plan that he would be involved. Yeah. So when did he get worked into the conversation?
0: Well, he was always involved in the back back piece, if you will, you know, I would always call him as a mentor and say, Al, you know, we're kind of messing this up or, you know, I, I don't know what we should charge for this or, you know, what have you. And, you know, when you're in the thick of making decisions, you know, it's good to take a step back sometimes and, and look and reach out to mentors, reach out to people. Exactly. Slow down, let me talk to somebody, let me see what what they think. Because it's easier sometimes for, that have for the people that have an outsider's perspective, that aren't in the day-to-day nitty-gritty, because those day-to-day nitty-gritty, Details can slow you down to making a decision yeah. too.
1: The way I, I, I mean, if you're watching the the YouTube video of this, like when you're in it, this is what you see, right? But when you get somebody who's out of it, this is what they see, right? You know, like you're so close to it sometimes. I mean, if you're if you're watching this, if you're not watching this, I have my hand in front of my face, um, and you're blind to it because you're so close to it. It's like standing a foot away from a wall and and trying to tell me like what's wrong with the building. You know all you can see is that wall you right. can't see all four walls you mm-hmm. can't see what's inside of those walls you can't see what's in the piping you have to step back um and that, that it sounds like that's what he was there for so like like if you were just i know you guys are still figuring out according to the previous conversation <laughs> but like what lanes like what, what are his strengths what are your strengths how do you guys divide and
0: conquer? yeah you know al al came in and you know like i said we, we knew we were going to work together. Again, at some point, um, you, you were know, at
1: three locations when he came on. Two thousand, uh,
0: yes, and we were about to open up Badia and Condesa El Techo, and you know those were coming fast, and you know we could have pulled it off, but we really needed Al's expertise and in his and his ability to. to Open up restaurants and see the bigger picture for for us. Resource and management, re- everything. Um, you know, organizational. You know, Nick and I at the time that Al was coming on. I mean, I remember I called Al one night when we were close and in negotiations, frankly, with him to come on. Um, you know, I was literally managing at Soraya because we were down a couple managers, so I was like in the nitty gritty and not being director, or owner, or what have you. Um, needing, we just needed support. You know, we were, we were like in, in need, but, um,
1: so what were your biggest challenges from one to three locations?
0: Um, biggest challenges were really just being able to multiply and, and to try to be, and and get, be effective in multiple locations at the same time. You
1: were only ever a GM of one restaurant. Somebody had found you and put you in that place, so you could they they multiplied themselves with you. Correct. And now you're trying to multiply yeah. yourself. Well,
0: I, I did numbers. that when I was at star restaurants when yeah. I was a director, but right. you know, doing it for your own group is you're a not much different the puzzle. A star name. Right. 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 And doing all that, and you know, it's just I always had the mentality: just work harder than most, and and get up early, and think about everything, and and go to bed, and and think about the people. And it's not and, sustainable. It's not scalable. You can't. <laughs> You can't scale yourself. You cannot. No, and that was that was one of our challenges. Certainly, how'd uh, you overcome it? Uh, well, we we grew right, and we we opened up new restaurants um, at Padilla and and at Condessa and. You know once we opened up new restaurants, we were able to step back from the from the floor management the day to day if you will Because um, you were able to increase your revenue in, in, well, we were able to increase, and that was just the model that we made up and you know we paid ourselves as as little as we could survive on you know I remember Nick and I we were like scraping pennies together. when we started and there are many weeks where we didn't pay ourselves and, um, you know, but we did what we needed to do to, to, to keep the business viable and keep it going for the people and for us, frankly. Um, and yeah, you just, how do you multiply? I mean, you just, you're, you're able, you know, we were able to, to get funding for Pizzeria Badia and we, we got it open. We had a general manager and two other managers, an executive chef and two other chefs, and they were so passionate about the restaurant that it made our lives easier too.
1: So Pizzeria Badia, who's Badia?
0: Joe Badia.
1: So his name is on the door. But That's you, correct. He's on, an owner. Oh, he's an owner. He is yeah. an owner. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. So He's an owner, and we're owners, and but we operate the business for him. So in every with restaurant, him, I should say, with
1: the restaurants are opening. Is there somebody there who's not? One of the three of you who owns it,
0: say that again. So,
1: if you go to definehospitality.com, mm-hmm. yep, and you look at a leadership team,
0: yep, there's three people. <laughs> one of them's bald, well, two of them are bald. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're bald <laughs> in that one, too.
1: There's, there's Nick, there's Al, and then there's Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, Roland's not mentioned, no, why not?
0: Uh, it's a good question. I'll have, to, I'll have to
1: ask. I'm not going to lie. I did not know he was a part of the picture. When he walked in, he's like, I'm one of the owners. I was like, who are you? <laughs> Probably a little bit of an ass. No. I'm not going to lie. Yes. But um, I was wondering, does he, was that requested? Did he not want to be?
0: I mean, you know, Define Hospitality is is Nick, Al, and I. were the owner and operators. But Roland's a, a part of Define Hospitality um, in, a, in a, um, a business advisor and vision advisor. And um, obviously, he helps you know us along the way with, with construction management uh, he owns a company called Peroni Management, and they've helped build all of okay. our restaurants. So is it
1: vertical integration? Mm. Is that what's going sure. on? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> when I t- was talking to Al, he said, "You know, what, I was what's what was your challenge before coming to uh, to find hospitality?" He said, "You know, that the buck stopped with Stephen, right? And he wanted he always wanted to be an owner, and he wanted to be able to call himself an owner. Right? Mm-hmm. And when he came here, he said the challenge was being one third of the, the buck stops. Yeah. Because now you have two other partners you have to consider, mm-hmm. and it has to be a group decision, mm-hmm. right?" Um,
0: it's easy for us to make decisions, though, as Nick, Al, and I. We we. There will be time and they 're very rare that one of us will so adamantly disagree with with another person 's side because we always explain the why behind our answers, and we always uh, take the care and, and understanding behind them and it 's everything from people to process to product to pricing to to everything i mean we, we come you know, I just remember yesterday um, we 're rolling out a um, an update to our octopus dish at, at Surya. And, um, you know, no, no disregard and disrespect to Nick, but Nick said, Hey, I think we should charge $38, you know, it costs us 12, uh boom that's you know whatever that is 32% and I said immediately like ah, thirty eight dollars just feels like a little too much for that dish just not not feeling really good and this was over email and I said hey let's let's talk offline about this. So Nick called me and Al was there and we all talked it through and I said you know 36 feels a little bit better. You know we're not discounting the quality of the octopus I and mean, it's the best octopus we get from our guy Brian over at, at Fishtown Seafood. And but it's just it doesn't feel like the guess is we're not going to sell as much as we could at 38 than we could at 36. But there was this back and forth, and Al said, yeah, let's let's do that. And then um, how about we raise this other dish up a dollar too to help kind of balance it all out? So that was a, like a, a cool little. Example that I can give can on how we operate together,
1: it. as long as you're willing to put your
0: egos. Correct. Oh, and we, yeah, and Nick and Al and I, we all say, "Hey, this is my opinion. I'm happy to be wrong, but this is what I feel." And and we all are honest with ourselves and 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 the company, you know, at all times. Got
1: it. Um, so. Is Roland, does Roland have a separate business that's like a design and businesses. Like businesses? <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. He's so, got, you know, he's a development um, company, you know, and so is uh, construction he, so, management. So he
1: owns the does he own the properties and you own the businesses? Is that correct. It works? Yeah.
0: And he's he's a partner with us in, in the businesses. Like too. exclusive like Yeah, so Divine Hospitality is like the umbrella company, if you will. And then each restaurant has a, a number of partners. We're a partner in every restaurant. Got it. Nick Allen I, but we have other business partners like Nook at Kalia. So I, Joe I, was, at, I was
1: I, I was a confused earlier when i was talking to al because i kind of assumed, it, it
0: happens i hear for with al
1: <laughs> no he, he was an incredible yes honestly I love it was you a, al. Really, yeah but um but so you do have partners so there are other owners correct in the businesses yes so when correct you, when you're opening and this is a point that i was trying to make like i really think the only way to attract onto yourself the talent you need to be the best is to be willing ask if you did profit sharing but mm-hmm. you're giving equity to your your key players
0: yeah yeah um what was the question? Sorry.
1: So the question is like, what is like your business? Like, how are you structuring? Like, how are you attracting this talent? Is it through offering? Like, what does it look like when you're opening a new place? Do you yeah. do you start with the location first and then try to reverse engineer it with a chef? or Well, a
0: chef then- good question. I mean, it, every, every place has been a little different from the, the last. I'll, I'll talk about Kaliya, for instance. You know, Nook and I have been friends since 2007, and she opened up Kaliya in, in South Philly, I believe three years ago, four years ago at this point. And at the time, you know, she, she said, Hey, let's, let's do something together. And we, we couldn't do it. We were not in a place to, to, to partner up with her at the time. Um, but, you know, we got into the early stages of the pandemic and we were talking and I, and, and Nook and I and Al and, every, and Nick, we all said, Hey, let, it's time to do something. So we had a concept first, and then we found the space and we looked at, you know, where it is now was the first place we looked at. And I walked in. I remember I said, this reminds me of the, the markets in, in Thailand, but
1: I love Thailand. Man. Yeah, I'll go back beautiful. To, but where beautiful. is she from in Thailand? Too?
0: She's from, that's a great question, Bangkok somewhere.
1: <laughs> so she's at the north part of the bay right there. Yes. I spent a total of six months in Hin, which is like on the western side of the bay. Yeah. Uh, I just love Thailand. Yeah, it's the sense of community yep. and just the, the markets and mm-hmm. just anyway. I yeah.
0: So so we we looked at a bunch of spaces and um you know we had another space that we were close on and then another one we were close on um and then we went back to this space and said hey this is where we're gonna rock and roll and and we did it and um so it's 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 a little different. I mean we. You know, we, we would just, unfortunately, turn down a, a location, uh, which we thought was a great location, where we said, this concept would do well here. You know, we were approached about a location, and uh, we said, well, we could do X or Y from from concept standpoint, um, but, you know, X won out, and but it just didn't work out for us, you know, at the time. So, it's a little bit of a, a both. And, and, you know, once you open up your first restaurant, you know, the, the amount of... Uh, inquiries and offers you get after that is is pretty amazing.
1: Got it. So at the top you have Define Hospitality, it's mm-hmm. the umbrella company. Mm-hmm. Um, Define Hospitality owns percent stake in each one of those restaurants and shares equity with uh, some a chef at each one of those restaurants, or is it not the same? For
0: yes and no. I mean, Define Hospitality is the management company. Got it. Um, and so Nick, Al, and I own that, and we are the owner-operators of Define Hospitality, which oversees the other restaurants, which we all are conveniently owners within as well. Got it, got it. And then, yes, to your point with Joe Badia and uh, Aaron Deary over at R&D and uh, Nook at, at Calia, they are partners, owners in the business as well.
1: Why Why is that the approach you're taking? Um,
0: it's just, you know, it, it's it's funny you ask that there's There's really... It, it, it's just like in the case of Joe Joe had such a specialized uh, thing going on with with pizza and and the fame that he had from from the pizza and we just said hey we, you know Joe's making 40 pies a night let's go make 400 a night like so where ha-
1: was Joe before us how what was your connection with Joe
0: Joe was had a little uh, pizza shop in in Fishtown as well that was
1: the third restaurant right uh, for us yes Um mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Soraya, and then I'm the always D, afraid a, to yeah. say restaurant names. So I'm going to mess them That's up. That's okay. Sareya, um, people mispronounce them all the time. It's okay. <laughs> okay I'm just I'm show worst, up, man. Um, <laughs> So, how did how'd you know? How was he on your radar?
0: Um, well, he was actually on the radar of Roland. Um, you know, Roland wanted to partner up with him, and you know. Kind of do something with him in, in, a, in a larger sense like we did and joe's business model was was good but he was making 40 pies a night and you know he wanted to do more he wanted to kind of work less so is he limited
1: through like because yeah he kind of maxed out pies. at a
0: certain yeah. point 40 yeah. pies a night times whatever he was charging you know how much yeah. you know it, it was a viable business for him um but i don't think he really wanted to keep going at that pace yeah. forever yeah. So, oh. you know, really it's, it's a matter of taking folks that are really special and specialized at what they do and their culinary uh, expertise or cocktail expertise in Aaron Deary and so is, give, it, giving them the light that they deserve.
1: So is Aaron an owner as a, a cock, like a mixologist? he's
0: an owner at R&D yeah and he really created that concept and has made it into what it is with his team there and you know Risa and Steve and Zach, you know just everybody down there are great I mean, great people and
1: and really one of the biggest lessons I've learned in doing this podcast is that it's about creating opportunity for other people big big time and it's really it's it's, it's making it's 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 finding somebody who should be in their lane and stay in their lane, and then to be everything else on mm-hmm. top of that, so they can do what they're specially equipped to do, yeah. and being their opportunity yeah. and going further together. Um, and I see that in. You know, the story that Alice talked from going from dishwasher to director of operations and, and creating a path and letting people know, like, hey, if you want opportunity in this business, like, here's the path. Right. And showing people the way, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that happened with you, too. Big at Star. time.
0: Yeah. My, and also my mentor, Steve Lewis, I mean, he started flipping burgers at Burger King when he was uh, just outside of... I think he said the Vietnam war. Um, but you know, it was, it's that whole sense of, you know, for me looking back and thinking about it right now, it's like, I remember looking and talking to Steve and seeing, you know, he was like what I wanted to become from a, from a person and from a business leader and, and everything. And I had that vision in my mind and I just kept going towards that. So, um, yeah, I forget exactly what we were talking about, but that's, you know, going after it and seeing it.
1: Man, time's going by fast. We're at an hour and a half of recording, <laughs> really? man. Yeah, it does go by so Talking fast. Talking too much. No, man, that's what that's what you're here to do. And You're doing a great job, and I've loved it. But is there anything we haven't discussed? Actually, one thing I was hoping we would discuss is, mm-hmm. as you know, I didn't get into it with Al, but being operations-geared people, how have you evolved your operations to lean more on technology and, and like he, Al said, he wasn't a, a, a technology kind of guy, so I figured maybe that's a yeah. That well, doing. he's
0: not a technology kind of guy, but he helped uh, update our our technology with our company before the pandemic. Uh, we were using a system called Aloha, which you know was was good enough for us at the time, but we really needed uh, more advancements, um, and so we switched over to Toast, which during the pandemic was a godsend. I mean, saved us, frankly, online our ability country. to do handhelds and, yep. and online purchasing. I mean, it was just, it was everything.
1: I mean, it was a great time. to open a pizza place too. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was great. And, um, you know, resi is a, is a reservation system that we use that we love. I can't speak highly enough about that in the notified list.
1: There's a lot of options out there for reservation. There are, yeah. Why resi? resi
0: resi was, you know, it was just a, um, Well, it came down to finances, right? We were using OpenTable before. OpenTable charges, I think, a dollar a cover, uh, which if you do 10,000 covers a month, it costs you $10,000 yeah. a month times 12. That's 120 grand a year. That's a ton of money. And frankly, we can put that money towards other things and resources yeah. and uh, capital expenditures and, and, and uh, people, right? Um, so it was financially based and Resi was, was great because they created this thing called this, you know, online wait list or notified list where, you know, as a guest, if you go in, you want to come into Seraya and you want to come in anytime between 6.30 or 8.30. Reservation's not available. You put yourself on the notify list. Somebody cancels or the the restaurant opens up the slots. You get notified and you can fill it in. So basically, it's like we're maximizing the book every single night. Is there a
1: way to let people bid on that? I don't know. Because there should be, <laughs> I feel like there should be, and I think that the restaurant industry could be better about recognizing their value. and yeah, bidding it. on a reservation. If you I don't have know. two people, mm. like you know, like bidding on a seven a seven thirty p.m. Yeah. reservation, I mean. I, I guess they know. just text like a, me or, or somebody else. To why get not be able thing. to make an extra 50 bucks on that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I, it's supply I'm sure it exists. Yeah. I just feel like we, we can I think
0: better. it exists for like
1: some of those smaller Like places. Talk is kind of doing stuff like that with like having a sliding scale, like yeah. uh, a meal at their restaurant at Linia on a Friday night mm. is not going to be the same cost on a Monday. Right. You know, like they recognize that there's more demand during that, that period. Mm-hmm. So it's more valuable. Right. Um, Anyway, I digress yeah.
0: not I think other technology items that we, we use. You know, Nick, Al, and I went out to Chicago, the restaurant show last year, and um, you know we saw something called Maintain IQ, which is a cool um, software program where it's kind of like a checklist oh, cool. for operators, and you know, we're using it? Reminders, yes, yeah, yes. we're using it. We love it. Um, also, like you know, label makers for the kitchen team. Um, you know, we just saw this label making company, and the the health department and our people love it. Did and, mark. What is it? Daymark? Yes, I think so.
1: Yeah, I know they've been mentioned a bunch. It's a great company.
0: Yeah, they're great. Little labels, boom, boom, boom prints out the date and you put it right on the, on the side, but it's also from an organizational standpoint, it's great. Uh, but technology right now is, is a lot of what we do. Um, you know, and, and, and we have to always keep that in mind and, and be mindful of, you know, what's to come and what's going to be easier. You know, we also like don't want to get too progressive with the, with the, um, Technology, you know, I remember as the pandemic was rolling out, you know, we were like, oh, let's, let's, uh, somebody approached us, hey, you guys should uh, accept Bitcoin as payment or whatever. Uh, no, we're not doing that. What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> you think that's still, that was the right choice? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, otherwise we'd be down
0: 80%. Right. right. <laughs> um,
1: so, I mean, looking at, if, if technology is a big part of what you're doing, like what excites you right now, especially with the cost of goods going up, mm-hmm. uh, rents going up, cost of goods is going mm-hmm. up, uh, build out the, the material like raw materials for build outs mm-hmm. going up. Um, how are you leaning on technology to? Also, it's harder to find labor, so like you, you need to replace. It's not that
0: hard. I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I can understand it's hard to find labor for some uh, some folks, but. Um, you know, it's, there's great people out there working and looking for, looking for work to work with, with great people. And, you know, we, um, you know, we're fortunate in in that regard where we've been, we've been able to, 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 attract some, some great people in our organization.
1: Are you looking to use technology to streamline process to increase human bandwidth?
0: Yes and no. Um, you know, we, we're so focused on people and processes right now, um, but technology, you know, like AI or anything like that, we haven't really touched on at the moment, yeah. uh, but we're keeping we're keeping an eye on it. Um, what does have you excited? Uh, opening new restaurants and also providing experiences for our people and providing great experiences for our guests uh, at the existing restaurants and at, and at new restaurants yeah. for us. I mean, we, you know, we, we'll grow, um, but we're not going to open a restaurant unless we physically can do it, and mentally can do it. We're just not going to do it. I mean, we could open up a restaurant every year, two, three, four every year, but at what it just, cost? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. We, I mean, what's it going to do for our guests? What's it going to do for our staff? What's it going to do for us? You know, we don't want to go through all that. We want to. We want to grow at the right pace for us. I
1: love it, uh, and that's really the, I think the secret behind culture, maintaining our culture is you have like creating opportunity and putting you know, the leaders in this restaurant into the next restaurant to be a right. culture carry. Exactly. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. Um, the culture club. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah, we have um,
1: so you guys. Is that what we call them?
0: Yeah, well, it, you know, interestingly enough, over the pandemic, we really we met and we we found a great need for our leaders to continue to learn and be to be uh, great leaders. And so we reached out to this. Uh, I think Al um, knew this gentleman, Ed. Uh, he owns a company called One Degree, uh, One Degree Outsourcing, uh, basically a leadership company. And um, we all got together and talked about our values of the company and what we wanted to see out of it and we created our values for the company uh, by way of our culture club which was the GM and the executive chef of each restaurant and you know it was it was amazing but um, you know it, it, we, we saw the need for us and 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 our people and we have monthly meetings uh, with Ed and bi-weekly meeting we have one tomorrow morning. Uh, with, with that we call the advanced leadership meeting and uh, where we go over specific topics like servant leadership and, uh, leading, you know, by example and, and guiding through our values and managing through our values. But, um, that was a big win for us too over the pandemic was our ability to add that into our fold of, benefits frankly for our leaders and and for our people giving
1: people people skills yeah
0: it's basically fast tracking their leadership expertise that that al and i and nick learned over our careers of 12 13 14 years into you know a, a year for them
1: and this is ed at one degree correct yeah I have a feeling I'm going to be reaching out to Ed. He's the group. man. <laughs> uh, where are they based? Out of Philadelphia? Yes. Yeah.
0: Philadelphia based.
1: Yeah. Get them all as hot. Get one in your town. Yeah. Um, anything we have not discussed up to this point, Greg, things that you were hoping to discuss. I mean, any opportunity. How,
0: what about you? Where are, you are, I mean, are you in I the, the restaurant business? Like, what's going on? What's there? my story? I mean, I grew
1: up in the restaurant industry. My parents opened a restaurant when I was... In New Hampshire, you said? Yeah. Three years old. Cool. Um, they had it for 10 years. Um, we were going to relocate to a different spot. And the women were buying this location from corner lot to busy intersection, like a busy intersection. Uh, the, 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 Property is famous in our community. It was called Carmen's Fried Chicken. If you, mm-hmm. if you grew up in the area, you knew where mm-hmm. Carmen's Fried Chicken was. Um, Carmen was 93 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my my parents made a great impression on her. We we're going to get a sweetheart deal on the location. Um, we were ready to sign papers. Uh, and the morning we went to go sign papers, she passed away. Oh, jeez. So we lost the property. Oh, no. Um, and we our lease was up at the original location. And they didn't want to renew the lease because the landlord kind of a jackass he's got dead it now so i can say that um <laughs> <Jeez>. and, uh, <laughs> and uh we um you, you know what it's like you, you don't have a, a day to go without a paycheck when you own a restaurant right. so right. you got to keep so they got jobs and they kind of saw it as their you know the universe telling them that their 10-year journey as restaurateurs was over and wow. um you know I, i i experienced firsthand my parents and how hard they worked and the amount of energy and blood, sweat and tears that went into that restaurant and my mom crying at the the dinner table, not knowing how to pay the mortgage because like the restaurant. So, I mean, that's really because their story is why I started this podcast. That's great. Good for you. You you know, I just wanted to know, like, how do you, how do you, how do you be so successful in the terms of business volume, people lines out the door, but how do you not profit? Right. Like, what are we doing wrong? Right. I I started this podcast to get those answers. Yeah.
0: Well, profits tricky, you know, even trickier now. And, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's needed in our business. Of course, you know, we, we, we open our businesses for many reasons, but the, the top reason is not to make a profit, you know, but it's we, fiscal it's, responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. need to do it to pay back, uh, investors, ourselves, whatever the Security case may be. for
1: yourself and your people yeah, that are responsible. O- along
0: them. the way, we learned a lot from, you know, our business partner, David Reuter, um, who's an investment banker and, um, private equity guy and just, just in, in crazy intelligent. Um, you know, our our understanding of you know when we open up a business, our goal is to pay that off in three to
1: four years max, right? Yeah. So and it's my goal to make that these lessons right to close of the knowledge gap. Yeah, and honestly, to talk people out of doing it because <laughs> if if you can hear a bunch of stories of how the reality and yeah. you still don't have those dreams. You're still not, if I can talk people a lot of it, I'm saving them a lot of headache, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want them to go through it though. I want them to go through yeah. it, but at the same time, I think people, there's a serious disillusion of what it's like to, to own a restaurant. Certainly. People, yeah. it's, it's oh, like,
0: everybody thinks we're just swimming in money. Yeah, and-, yeah. It's,
1: and if you love cooking and, and being hospitable, I yeah. mean, you can do that at home. Yeah, I, you know, I, would, I
0: would say it's it's good to talk people out of it if you don't feel that they are maniacal about the details. If you
1: hear the stories that I share mm-hmm. through the word of them, like, you know, straight from the person behind the restaurant and you still want to do it and you're still itching to do it. And then, you know, the, so that's part of like inspire, like also the kind of taco, but also empower. Right you know, So here's the reality of what it's like, the not the the food and wine version. But the front like oh, you yeah. know like the but like the the real version from the horse's mouth, mm-hmm. and then like here's how I did it, right? You know, so right. like we close the knowledge gap, and, and yeah. more people can you know. But all ships rise with the tide. Uh,
0: yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's a challenge every day. I mean, you you, you know, as a, as an entrepreneur, you go to sleep and thinking about the businesses and the people, and you wake up thinking about the businesses and the people, and um, I love it. It's it's a day to day grind that that. Um, you know I love and we're very fortunate that we have some great people working in our organization that really understand our vision and, and really want to be great themselves and yeah. you know we say it a lot it's like uh, we'll, we'll take people as far as they want to go with our organization but we have to continue to grow as an organization to do so
1: so one more question before we go to the speed round um, speed round again the mission is to inspire empower and transform the industry mm-hmm. uh, if there is one thing that you could change about the industry in the sense of this idea of how we can be like one thing that you could change to become standard, to make the industry better, to transform the industry. What would it be?
0: Hmm. Um, hmm. I don't know how I, how I answer that. One thing I change about the industry. Um, I think that there's, there's um, maybe this misaligned belief that restaurants um, aren't, you know, quote unquote, you know, full-time professions or full-time jobs. What's your real job? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go get a real job. Okay. You have a real job. Um, yeah, I think, and and I think that's more of a societal issue. You know, there, there's parents that uh, you know you shouldn't be working in restaurants. I'm a doctor, or I'm a I'm a art history teacher, or you know, whatever the a nurse, you know, whatever it is, you shouldn't be working in restaurants. What are you doing there? But you know, the the energy within the staff of a restaurant is 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 amazing. Um, you know, some of my best friends are, uh, I've met through the restaurants, and um, you know, I, I I would maybe just say that. The the thought that the restaurants are at a full time uh, job where you can support a family support, um, you know, a a community, frankly,
1: um, should go away. I agree with that. Great way to lead us into the speed round. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by one huddle. One huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One huddle is changing the way Restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals and videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with one huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on one huddle versus traditional micro-learning, and video-based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker too because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one in huddle like a football huddle and. If you use that link, you can get 90 days access to one huddle's game shop, which includes 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurant dot com slash one huddle and you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time, these restaurant tours don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash P that's R S P for restaurant systems, pro RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash R S P. We are back. And the first question I have for you is what is your factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success. It's go, go, go. What is your biggest weakness? Go, go, go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe go, go, go. Um, I need to listen more.
1: Yeah. Um, Hey, I'm speaking with Christine miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, the author is what is it costing you not to listen Mm -hmm. so uh, the episode after yours if you want to check it out that might be a good one for you she's based in philadelphia oh cool yeah so uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team
0: from the people Mm. Hmm. Um, what are their aspirations over the next five years what do they want to do
1: What are you looking for? Uh,
0: I want to hear that they're interested in growth for themselves and that they, uh, and, you know, I'm talking more about, you know, the management positions, Um, you know, that they want to advance their career and learn and and continuously grow. Got
1: it. What is your biggest challenge today?
0: Um, Biggest challenge today is um, our ability to, um, you know, really get everything done for for the people you know right now we, we really from an organization we want to be more uh, fiscally responsible and, and have our uh, systems in, in place for that and we're we're almost there How are you overcoming it uh, technology baby
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a question for that later uh, the technology question but share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team a core value a way to be a way to act uh, people are the priority what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff something that's common within the four walls of your restaurants but not common mm. throughout the industry to go above and beyond mm.
0: maybe it's not um, uh, unstandard but it's it's really watching the initial reactions of our guests when they walk in the restaurant or when they take the first bite of food or when they receive the food or the beverage it's it's their initial reactions you know a lot of people wear their emotions on their on their sleeves per se especially when they're a restaurant of ours so really just focusing in on that immediate reaction of theirs because then you either know it's great or it's not so great
1: yeah beautiful um, people say a lot without opening their mouth ever if you can tap into reading the, those, those subtle cues and be open to that communication yeah. it will lead you to a lot big time uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant owner
0: uh, um, shoot what's the name of the book I'm sorry my uh, mother's best friend Nancy Herring got it for me when I graduated High table. school, and it was a Dr. Seuss book. Oh, I know. Your No. Oh, the great places you'll go. One of those. One of those books. I'm oh, the places Dr. you'll Seuss, go. Uh, I know. Uh, Dr. Seuss is about I all. Didn't I didn't start reading
1: read. until I was like in my mid twenties, <laughs> so I was beyond um, Dr. Seuss at that point.
0: I think it's Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places you will go, um, because it's just a. It's filled with inspirational. Yeah. Oh, the places you'll go. In, inspirational quotes. I love it.
1: Um, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Uh,
0: in general, is um, I think that we as restaurateurs can um, be part of the community a little bit more and, and take care of the community. I love
1: that, and that's what, really what it was all about. That's how mm-hmm. this industry started. Right? I think, like, it, there's a book out there. Um, America walks into a bar, <laughs> and it's, it literally talks about how like the, the bar industry, like like how like. The, the public house. Like right. There's people don't know this, but if you wanted to start a community, a town, going back in the 1700s or whenever we were establishing, uh, colonizing, like you, the first thing that was on the list of things you need to do, open a pub. Well, wow. before open a post office, before a bank or any of those things, needed a public house, hmm. and that's what we were. We were the, the center, the spoke for the community I think we need to reconnect with that Uh, what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted that's had a huge influence on uh, communication efficiency profitability anything along those lines Uh,
0: Restaurant 365 that we're going to be rolling out very soon in our company which is kind of all encompassing obviously in the name 365 it's all encompassing uh, from a financial perspective and really will teach our leaders on how to manage the day to day business from a financial end
1: what features do you like most about Uh, Restaurant 365
0: the P&Ls and really teaching the team you know money coming in money coming out.
1: Why 365 over other options in the market?
0: It just, it had all of the best technology, all of the best systems for us. Uh, you know, we were using extra chef, which was very good at a time and, uh, QuickBooks online and, uh, but we had to do a lot of manual work, our financial team had to do a lot of manual work to to get our P&Ls and, and um, you know, we have to get them quicker for our folks. You know, I want to have a conversation with our general managers and say like, hey, not only how are the people doing and our repair and maintenance, but, you know, what are the numbers looking like? How are we doing versus previous year? How are we doing versus budget? Which we we know those top line sales, but from a cost perspective, you yeah. know, food costs at the end of every week, beverage costs at the end of the week yeah. is, is hugely important.
1: Having a general ledger tied to your inventory and all yeah. that stuff and like one of your POS. Mm-hmm. like if, Which
0: we do now. It just takes a little bit longer to get.
1: Yeah. Um, this is the last question. You ready for it? I hope. It's a doozy, so <laughs> open your ears. <laughs> If you got the news, you would be leaving this world tomorrow. Uh-oh. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind hmm. for your legacy and for the good of humanity. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
0: Uh, probably going back to the, the mantra items, right? Don't mess it up. Uh, try to get ahead of it all and do great work and, and, and be proud of what you do love it. More of like an inspirational guidance to the teams.
1: I love it, man. This has been a lot of fun. Um, it's been a true honor. I, you and Al were very generous <laughs> with your time. Um, and just four hours today. I've been, that in was this awesome. Room, thank you. And it's been a great four hours. Thank yeah. you. You make this possible. So thank you. And, um, I do like to wrap up by having my guests call somebody out. I'm really trying to take restaurant stoppable into an unbiased journalistic. I, who, like who am I to decide who I make an example of? I'd rather you, you have you decide who I should make an example of. So who do you respect and admire? And if you found out I had them as a guest in the show and they were spilling their guts, you'd absolutely in the restaurant
0: to business. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or I mean, I, I talked about Ed early on, um, um, you know, uh, I think that, um, you know, in, in, in Philadelphia, um, Chad and Hannah over at Friday, Saturday, Sunday are, are great individuals and great entrepreneurs, and um, they're doing some great things over there. So,
1: this is in Philadelphia. Yeah,
0: it's in Philadelphia.
1: Um, look out, Chad and Hannah. I'd love to get you on the <laughs> show. I'm in town for a little bit longer. Hopefully, we can make this happen. And um, how can we connect if we are maybe looking I'll to. No, I'm talking to like, how can we connect with you if we're no. listening to this? No. And we are interested in maybe coming and joining your team, following up, having maybe we have questions. Yeah,
0: you. I think you can uh, visit our website, definehospitality.com. Um, and then if you email, that email goes to me directly. Awesome. So greg at definehospitality.com is the best way.
1: I'm pretty sure this is episode 898. Oh, Head over God. to restaurantunstoppable.com. Well, not 8. I'm dyslexic. Sorry. 988.
0: I, I'm a little upset you didn't make me the thousandth. You know, you know
1: we've interview. been talking about who we're going to make a. Come thousand, on, man! And I, I honestly, just I don't know. Think about maybe like letting my parents tell their story. Ooh, that's you know? a good idea. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Then, like or full circle. Some people say Danny Meyer, but you know, I, I like the
0: parents' idea. Do yeah, that.
1: I think, but I think they'd freak the fuck out if I. No, nah, so they'd be fine. They'd be in panic. You just have to edit it a bunch. <laughs> 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 All right, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Thank you so same, much. Same. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. All right. Cheers. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Greg Root, for coming on and keeping it real. And I love what's happening over at Defined Hospitality. And I wasn't really aware of this. Uh, I thought there were only three partners in the restaurant group, but Defined Hospitality, the overarching business entity, has three partners. They have partners in their restaurants as well. And I think that this is the structure of having an overarching management team Partnering with chefs that are passionate and talented and just building these amazing teams and creating opportunity and offering stake in the business, equity in the business is going to be the way you attract onto yourself talent. And it takes an army today. I I think the days of solopreneur restaurateurs, one person that owns the business and hires people to work for them, I don't know. I think it's going to be harder and harder to, to get at the top of the ladder that way and the success that defined hospitality is having with this business model is a testament to to its impact. So keep up the great work, guys. Uh, Looking forward to following your continued growth. And if you guys did not know, I am going to be at the National Restaurant Association. It's taking place May 20th through the 22nd or 3rd, I believe, at least those three days. And uh, there's I don't know if you're aware of this, but the National Restaurant Association show is known for being one of the largest gatherings of food service professionals in the Western Hemisphere, and it brings together over 5,000 professionals. The show features industry leader keynotes, expert-led sessions, and deep dive workshops. Uh, I love what they're doing. And they're also going to do uh, culinary demos with celebrity chefs. Uh, so over 900-plus product categories will be featured from food, beverage, equipment, technology... Everything in between, then the show is the ultimate destination to source inspiration and innovations. I know they inspired me. I went back almost 10 years ago. It was the first time I went to the show. The show is a launch pad. Really, it is for industries, and, and it provides a first look at must-have, award-winning products. Uh, it's it's definitely something you have to experience as a restaurant tour. I'll be there. I'll love to connect with you, and I'll have my team there with me. Maybe we can meet up someplace. We're talking about possibly doing a meetup. Reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, if you're interested in connecting while we're there. And I cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this podcast possible thank you to jared parisi for your editing and copyright and thank you to sam hall for your social media on the road helping me capture these amazing interviews and your editing your video editing it takes an army i'm grateful for mine that's it for today until next time peace out